under your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Welcome to the program, folks. It's Thursday. I wish it was Friday. I wish I could just spend all of my day, you know, making music, having fun. But, you know, you grow up, you have to do things, you have to earn money. So I need a little bit of uh, motivation this evening. And, well, I always turn to this guy when I need motivation. You're talking to the Rolex wearing... Say it, Rick. Diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. I know it is fun to wrestle. Nice pile drive to the face, <laughs> or a punch to the face. But you cannot do it because it is in the Bible not to wrestle your neighbor. And also, I need to welcome. My guest this evening, Frisco Riverstone. How are you, sir? <laughs> I like this little tune. Yeah, made it the other day. It's basic tracks. So every uh, every show you do, we start off with a little little bit of Joey. Yeah, that's what I try to do. I, well, I've gotten back into it. I figured out I can use GarageBand on my iPhone. Cool, because some of the uh, some of the first shows I've done with you, they were like from the vault. Yeah, like, exactly. They were like Joey, like oh eight, oh nine. And I've talked to you about this. I had something like fifty tracks, and I lost a lot of them. When my computer crashed. Yikes. Yeah, I was a dummy. We were talking off air about good habits. Yeah. I had a bad habit. It was before cloud stuff really got going. Oh, yeah. So I was able to salvage some tracks I'd put online before. And there are a few out there um, in the ether that I'm sure I could find. But there's some that I wish I still had the original tracks. They're in my head, so I can recreate them. Try to, yeah. But it, it wouldn't be the same. There's one I made when I was still in high school that was actually, like, I played it for people. You know, I've had the experience, and I think a lot of people that are creatives have had this experience where you make something and people give you the, like, polite, like, oh, yeah, man, that's, yeah, uh, yeah. that's all right, man. Good job. And I had plenty of those moments. But there's this one track I made in high school where people were like, damn, that's pretty good, man. You should <laughs> keep going. Like, keep pursuing this. Like, really? We didn't know you played. It's yeah. Like <laughs> the 10th song you showed him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then my good friends just got annoyed with it. It's yeah. like, come on, man. Yeah, Especially if they didn't like the genre. that I, They're into different stuff, like more natural sounding stuff. Uh, but it's fun. It's I'm, I'm one of those... It's I've learned that about myself. When I get too serious and I try to always read politics or always read yeah. philosophy or history... Uh, and just nose of the grindstone, focus on the job. I get depressed. I need music. Well, that's good. I, I played a lot in uh, in high school in my early 20s, and I feel like as I've become more and more of a business owner and take on other projects, too, I uh, haven't played as much. And, mm. I, and my guitar hangs on the wall in my right. living room. <laughs> it looks looks really great. Uh, but I need to pick it up. Were yeah. you making original stuff and oh, yeah. covering? Oh, yeah. I had a little band in high school. Oh, nice. I did all kinds of, yeah. Very yeah. cool. 
So very very cool. I'll have to you know what, I'm gonna have to dig into my vault. Maybe find okay, a couple yeah, things. Find we'll some stuff. Yeah, yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, there are a lot of talented people around here, and I love that. And this is just a trend across the economy and technology now that it's so cheap, and you can have a really good, somewhat professional sounding demo, and you can connect with people at a very low cost and just swap ideas and just be intuitive with the music making process. It's insane. Like uh, I encourage folks to go check out the episodes we did with Taj Maverick. Um, TJ's his real name. I know your real name, Taj. Um, yeah, Taj Maverick, he's great. And just there are so many people uh, in this city. I wish we could find a way to get them to come together and kind of get a, a yeah, band culture around. Yeah, there's some... I mean, I've seen some small initiatives, too, especially yeah. with jazz. Uh, there's, some, there's some great jazz musicians oh, in yes. town. And uh, I've been to some meetings downtown, and they've played, and it's, it's been... Uh, I've seen... I've seen some initiative. The cool thing, though, about uh, now that you've got me thinking about the high school band is that my the drummer from my high school band actually brought me the cassette tape that we recorded on. Yeah, because we we made like a little EP, and he brought it to me the other day, and I I can't I can't I can't figure out how to. Got to play it right now. I've got to, I've got to find a cassette player. Well, but I, but I want to transfer it over. I actually have I've got I do have a, a recording on CD as well. Okay. Something about that cassette. I want to hear it. I found a CD when I was moving. That was when I first started, and this had to be sophomore year. So this is two thousand five, and it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like I played it for just me. I'm like, oh no, this should not see the light of day. Why, why did I show this to me? Like, there's a song called Funky. I'm like, that's not funky at all. <laughs> that's that's not good at Isn't all. Isn't it weird to go back though and listen to your music and kind of be and and you know kind of what where you were in your mind at the mm-hmm. time and mm-hmm. and now you've got a completely different set of of worldviews and experiences and you're kind of like, oh okay. Like I feel like that's kind of like when my grandparents look at me. I'm like, <laughs> well, and you can tell like yeah, there are shifts. Like when I was making the stuff in high school. I didn't really have much of a point. Yeah, sure. I didn't really have much as a, I, I like uh, I like girls, man. Like, okay, whatever. Like, it's not, and you don't even know where to begin there. You're still kind of feeling out, you know, what you, yeah, what you think you, about the world. One of your songs is like, love is over, like right. love is not. It was something mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> from oh, high yeah. school. Joey got his heart broken. And, oh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, there, I think the one was that maybe it wasn't really love, but I find that hard to believe, so maybe it was love to <laughs> only me. Uh. <laughs> Uh, cringeworthy. But, I mean, while we're doing this, and there are all sorts of cool stories out today, folks. I'm not going to focus on all the recession fears. Could be plausible, but I don't think it's going to happen in the next year or so. Um, and not really looking at the United States economy, but uh, there's possibility of global contagion. Like, there's crazy things going on. I was just reading about uh, Germany and the European Central Bank. Uh, negative interest rates, negative yields on all their bonds. So, essentially... You're paying to lend people money. Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't. It's not going to work well. Well, the fear the fear is hyped up here in the U.S. because we are literally on a um, you know we're about to start the next election. I mean, I guess we're kind of in election season at this point, uh, and so you know you've got certain groups that want there to be recession, obviously. Right. <laughs> but I think people should really be paying attention the next year or two to Europe and and seeing what's going on over there. It's anemic growth. That, in that's where the uh, that's where the um, that's where you need to be kind of freaked out a little bit. And there's a terrible crisis right now in China, not just dealing with political fraying like in Hong Kong, and uh, they're kind of pissed off at Taiwan because Taiwan was going to give the people in Hong Kong asylum who needed it, yeah, as well as military you know, purchases from the United States. And 
China is not happy, but China's dealing with their own issues and their own banking system. They've kind of, they've had all these years of growth. They've made a deal with the Chinese people. We'll make you rich. Don't rock the boat too much politically. And now that President, he shouldn't even be called that, the the ruler, Xi Jinping, (laughs) from China, China, um, he and I are great friends, but don't piss me off, she. <laughs> don't piss me off. No, but I, you're talking about how you notice yourself at different points in life, like with writing and music. I, I don't journal as much as I, I wish I had, but I did make music. And this one, five years ago, is when I posted this. And this is definitely Joey in a very political era. Now, that's crap electronic bass and just a drum loop. And I'm playing the guitar and stuff live. But the reason I say it's political is the lyrics. And they're very... Uh, is this you on vocals, too? Yeah. Oh, nice. He does it all. Yeah, not a great vocal, but passable to get the idea across for a good vocalist. Sure, yeah. But I think the lyrics are, uh, look past the world in front of you, explore your time, no trust, uh, no love, and nothing new is a cheaper dime. Ruins rot in the present day, your leaders glean. Look past the world in front of you, see the unseen. And that is an image in the video of Frederick Bastiat. It's always in big libertarian nerd. Yeah, it's 2013. Yeah. The right after I kind of finished college. Is it? Yeah. No, no, this is a few years after. Look past the world in front of you, explore your time. Not a great vocal, like I said. I kind of like it. I was expecting words. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I could play worse. But... That is good. I guess I was listening to a lot of Black Keys at the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's weird going back. What is this? Six years old, at least from when this was posted. But you know, you wouldn't believe that the top 100 charts, you know, the, the Hot 100, they don't like like heavy political commentary in their music. <laughs> it's amazing, you know. Absolutely not. I think we've kind of dumbed it all down, really, since the 70s. I do like playing guitar. Like, it's a nice little, you know, a little bluesy. But yeah, folks, we're just hanging out here tonight, and I still stand by the lyrics. Um, Pretty radical stuff, but I still tear down your wall of ignorance, reach for the stars. There's not much time. Take whatever. Uh, <laughs> whatever. This is we a, see where your mind was at yeah. the time, and it hasn't changed much. I mean, I've mellowed out some. I've developed politically speaking. I still have my ideals. I'm still very cynical, and I've I've really embodied the lessons uh, that I've learned. The power well, corrupts. The, the times changed, so you've uh, you've adapted to obviously yes. current events and situations. Well, and- I've mellowed in the sense that I realize decisions, especially politically, are not made with abstract arguments. No, no that's not how things are done. There, and also, I'm not the only person in the room or in the world. This is I've, I've really it's hit home of how vast and diverse this nation is, and I think the two party system barely scratches how vast and diverse opinions actually are. I mean, diversity in terms of thought, and I so realizing that, and if we're going to try to do this national democracy thing, we have to mellow out that you're going to be constantly disappointed by what the government does if you're trying to you know 
lack of a better word, compromise. Yeah, well, kind of like you said, though, I mean, it gets way more complex. On the left and right, you know, we're you've got this like far left far right but then there's all kinds of other fringe in between and different quote grassroots movements you know on either side i mean it's it's a little well, more complex and when i see people on the left talk about the the racist alt right i go it's they're overstating it but i've seen people for instance in the libertarian movement go from just being kind of rude libertarians to like the racist kind of crap and i'm like oh you can see the slide that happens i've seen people become more radical going towards the left like again from the libertarian camp because i've been in a fringe group for so many years i've seen oh you didn't actually just believe like the ideas you didn't like the ideas of free markets and free minds and liberty for the individual you might have entertained that for a second you were just looking for uh a group to belong to. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the majority of, mm-hmm. of, of people. Well, and a, a radical group. You're just looking yeah. to be a, a contrarian. And uh, there's a great poem um, by Charles Bukowski. The title is, I love his titles. The title is, I wanted to overthrow the government, but all I came down with was somebody else's wife. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is about him meeting up with a group of anarchists in like the 30s and they talk about how they're going to change the world and you know to hell with the pope and to the president and all this stuff like that but really all they ended up doing was getting drunk well they kind of like you, b- before we got on air we were talking about um the Amazon on being on fire yeah and I've gotten a lot of you know I've got some my, my super liberal friends up in New York City uh, they were outraged that the media wasn't saying anything about it and then and all of a sudden there's like these banners of like save the rainforest and they're doing and I kind of got into a really nice it wasn't a debate it was a really nice discussion yeah. um, with my brother actually about uh, okay I get it cool you know save the rainforest I agree yeah. what are you going to do what's what's the issue well, I don't know. I mean, people are evil. People are evil. And it's just, and, and you and I kind of were talking about this. And it was sort of like, okay, well, let's look at some ideas. Let's figure out, okay, who's doing it? What, what are yeah. we, what's actually happening down there? Well, they're clearing them out. Okay, well, why are they clearing them out? Well, they're making, they're making cattle land. Oh, okay. So they must be making a lot of money on beef to the point that they're eradicating the rainforest, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, how do you combat that? Anyway, we, we got a pretty yeah, good discussion rolling, but... Details, and what are you going to do about it? Uh, I saw a great study today. It's a study that should be cheered. We constantly hear about climate change and too much CO2 and being pumped into the atmosphere by human activity, especially those dirty, dirty fossil fuels. <laughs> and uh, a study came out and said the most effective way to combat CO2 emissions isn't a carbon tax. It's not the Green New Deal. It's not cap and trade, whatever. The most effective way of offsetting CO2 emissions, plant more trees. Yeah. It's, wow, hey, that's a solution I can get behind. You could actually really go, you could do that today, like yeah. right now. Yeah, and there are, <laughs> there are a lot of farmers here in Alabama, yeah, a lot yeah. of people that own land here in Alabama. Oh, yeah. That'd be all about planting some trees. Absolutely. And that's actually a, a development you see with nations is when they go through a development phase... They do deforest. There's deforestation on a mass scale. Sure. But once a society develops, it comes back there wherever they control greener than it was before. Well, because they they have to plant, uh, you know, trees, agriculture in general, yeah, uh, to support it. So, but it's a great development. So not everything's going to hell, folks. Not everything. 
but here, I want to focus in on this one story that I have on my phone here. Uh-huh. This is from uh, the Great White North, Canada. And uh, scientists there have discovered, or at least unveiled to the public, what they're calling a dinosaur mummy. Nice. It was found with its skin and gut contents intact. This is crazy looking. It's the best preserved dinosaur specimen ever uncovered. You can't even see its bones. Like, so this is not a, a skeleton or anything. This is, like, truly a mummified, naturally mummified dinosaur. Now, what, what kind of dinosaur? What are we... Are the feathers still there? Uh, no, they said it's intact skin. <laughs> yeah, no. and armor. <laughs> I've got a whole theory there. on dinosaurs. Uh, the Royal Tyrell Museum of Paleontology in Alberta, Canada, recently unveiled a dinosaur so well-preserved that many have taken to calling it not a fossil, but an honest-to-goodness dinosaur mummy. With the creature's skin, armor, and even some of its guts intact, researchers are astounded at its nearly unprecedented level of preservation. We don't have a skeleton, Caleb Brown, researcher at the museum, told National Geographic. We have a dinosaur as it would have been. Here's a... Small photo. I guess this is of the I head. See this. Oh yeah, it looks it looks like a uh, like a dragon or a lizard of mm-hmm. sorts. Mm-hmm. Interesting. When this dinosaur, a member of a new species named Notosaur, was alive, it was an enormous four-legged herbivore protected by spiky plated armor and weighing in at approximately three thousand pounds. Jeez. Today, this mummified notosaur is so intact that it still weighs 2,500 pounds. How the dinosaur mummy could retain or remain so intact is still something of a mystery. The researchers suggest that the creature may have been swept away by a flooded river and carried out to sea where it eventually sank. Over millions of years on the ocean floor, minerals took the place of the dinosaur's armor and skin, preserving it in the lifelike form now on display. Though it was so well preserved, getting it to its current display form was still an arduous undertaking. So they didn't find this thing. Yeah, here's a better photo of like the the head. Okay, yeah. that is crazy. It looks looking. it looks like a dragon. Yeah, like a Game of Thrones dragon. It really does. Um, it's taken researchers seven thousand hours over the course of the last six years to both test the remains and prepare them for display. That's unreal stuff. I went to the, um, what is it, the Field Museum in Chicago uh, a couple years back, and they've got some, some pretty pretty awesome uh, dinosaur fossils and bones, you know, fully put together. Although they kind of trick you because you'll walk up to it and you're like, oh, look at this stegosaurus. And then you, you get a little closer and it's mostly plaster, but they'll have like the like right. half the hip bone is the actual. <laughs> yeah, so, those are... so I walked into this museum. I'm like, how do they get and how do they know to put all this together? Well, it's actually, ha- it's like 90% a guess, and but that is a hip. <laughs> and then, of course, there's all the theories of uh, dinosaurs being giant birds. Oh, yeah. And I, there yeah. is, I think, a, a, a connection there. Though, I, like I mentioned last night, I watch a, a fascinating conversation, sit down with the Hoover Institute, Peter Robinson. Uh, the one guy I remember is David Berlinski. I can't remember the other two. But they essentially said that there are there is a big breakdown happening. There's not been much progress on the theory of evolution. There have been some... Um, but it is not clear. All these questions remain outstanding where somebody's going to have to come along and answer them. 
and these gentlemen are even suggesting, see, God did it, which raised as a Catholic myself, I mean, they're... I was always taught in Catholic school there's no real contradiction here. Sure. Uh, that God works in mysterious ways, how he created life on earth and the universe doesn't necessarily have to be uh, the literal poetic way it was presented in the good book. Um, so, but the theory is like Darwin is such a, a name mm-hmm. in our modern culture that it's about time we kind of move on. And apparently, I would say the way that we look at, say, Sir Isaac Newton of physics, and somebody else came along like Einstein, and others have come along and worked on what Einstein did with the theory of relativity, we're going to see a paradigm shift in the theory of evolution. It's not going to throw out Darwin completely, yeah, but it's going to improve on it and try to explain more things like the Cambrian explosion. Like There's one point in history where you just got this massive speciation where it just all these different species started popping up out of nowhere. On time scales that don't re- aren't accounted for by Darwin's theory. Yes. So it's like, what happened? There? Yes, something happened. Right. But right now, I want to go to a story about animal-human relations. Okay. The headline. This is from the Kansas City Star. It happened uh, about mid-month this month of August in 2019. A raccoon. The headline reads: "Was living his best life." In a school snack machine, then the cops came. Uh, so this was written by like a intern. Yeah, definitely <laughs> living it's his a, best life by Madeline Marr. Yeah, Madeline. She's a two-minute read. She's a first-year intern at the uh, Kansas City. <laughs> well, actually, it looks like the story originated at the Miami Herald. Oh, okay. It's just now on the Kansas City Star. Uh, Deputies from Volusia County Sheriff's Office. Of course, it's a Florida story. I didn't realize I was. It all goes back to Florida. Deltona, Florida High School on Wednesday. Uh, these deputy sheriff's deputies were called over an issue that had nothing to do with the student body. It had to do with the vending machine. Rather, something had crawled inside of it. Apparently, a raccoon had managed to make its way into the machine located on the premises of the high school. It was unclear how long it had been lounging amid the (laughs) snacks, but it had apparently made itself a home. Photos posted on the agency's Facebook page show the animal reclining on a shelf in between some Welch's fruit gummies, and another sees it staring out from the chute where the food is dispensed. The furry omnivore's expression is actually looks a little guilty. I believe it. Those little those little rascals are. Uh, oh, is there a photo with this one too? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. He's he's literally got those puppy dog eyes, almost kind of looking like. All right, go ahead and take me out of here. Right. I've I actually had that experience not with uh, not with a raccoon but with a young child. I was working at Fun Wait, Zone. What? <laughs> yeah. I was working crawled at, into the. No, I'm I'm like walking. I like I gotta go to the bathroom. I leave the DJ booth. I'm walking to go to the bathroom out of the corner of my eye in the big, like, claw machine. It was uh, one of those massive yeah. ones with big stuffed animals. I noticed out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, that didn't look like a stuffed animal. That looked like a kid. And then <laughs> I, so I, I turn around immediately, and there's a kid just sitting there. He's not upset. He's just he's not crazy. He had it planned the whole time. He's kind of, well, he's almost like a blank stare on his face, like, I got in here. What do I do now? I think that raccoon. I don't think they're that smart. So I think he uh, he he saw somebody do it. I think them yeah. kids are crawling up in there. Yeah, well, those have to be <laughs> some pretty pliable tiny kids. But I mean, that photo's hysterical. Him, his head sticking out of the shoot area of the vending machine. He literally he's, he looks like a cot robber. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, there's a story I sent you uh, earlier today that I found yesterday about a guy in. Uh, 
France. And I didn't really know... I don't know much about this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember this. But he's a popular French author and television presenter. He's caused outrage after claiming he was, quote-unquote, incapable of loving a woman aged over 50. Yan or Yan Moi? Or Moix or whatever. Mo- Weird. Moi. Moi. Let's say Moi. Yan Moi. M-O-I-X. Who's fi- Mo- he, Mo- maybe. I don't know. He's 50 himself. He told a magazine, quote, Come on now, let's not exaggerate. That's not possible. Too, too old. <laughs> you gotta do it with like, a, French, a French accent. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> but she's 50? No. <laughs> he's 50 himself. <laughs> um, he's the author of several prize-winning novels. He added that women in their 50s were invisible to him. <laughs> I prefer younger women's bodies. That's all. End of. The body of a 25-year-old woman is extraordinary. The body of a woman of 50 is not extraordinary at all. I mean, look, the guy likes what he likes. Listen, yeah. uh, my favorite thing about that whole thing was the comments, because Instantly, the raging feminist chime yes, in. <laughs> I know that. I knew he was going to get it. Yeah. No, no, there's a journalist named Columb? Uh, Schneck? I couldn't pronounce Columbe. any of the names in that article. Yeah. But she's a journalist. She's 52 years old. She published a photo of her backside. Just, I looked at it for research purposes. I did, not, I did not click on that. Uh, she, but it, it's just her. It's really like a close-up shot. It's not really even that pornographic or scandalous. It's just her laying on her bed, and it's like a picture of her butt. And and the caption is, Voila, the buttocks of a woman aged 52. What an imbecile you are. You don't know what you're missing, you and your tiny punchy brain. <laughs> I didn't think she was going to say brain. Yeah, that's how I, I was... <laughs> uh, other feminists said he was a sad sire, but I think this is like a... Like, that's how you respond. This guy... She got so mad, she posted a picture of her bare butt. butt. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's These great. women are invisible to me. But you gotta, like, think... I mean, with any... Honestly, any French guy uh, I've ever met, and we've had, like, foreign exchange students in the sure. house... I could totally see some Frenchie saying that. Oh, know? yeah. Man. But but it's not attractive to me. You know, like... I've, this, and, I've met a few French yeah. guys myself. And you're like, you're like, okay, well, that's not really politically correct, you know, but at the same time, I got you. Hey, look. <laughs> well, in France is a whole other culture, especially around yeah. sex. Oh, yeah. It's such a different place. But he likes this supple, uh, soft skin. I love the Japanese, <laughs> the Chinese. Oh, yeah, he said that. He, he pretty much... He, he laid he it further, out. He further went into, actually... He only likes Asian girls, preferably Japanese, Koreans, Koreans and Chinese. And Chinese. It is perhaps sad and reductive for the women I go out with, but the Asian type is sufficiently rich, <laughs> large, and infinite for me not to be ashamed. Wow. <laughs> I mean, look, the guy knows what he likes. Well, and that's the thing. That's the one area of life. And there's some folks trying to change this, these activists on the left. Oh, yeah. It's one area of life where people are still allowed to discriminate. Yeah, well... For, on any reason, well, for any reason. There's some dating apps out now uh, in the gay and straight communities where you cannot specifically uh, say, I do not like 
I'm not looking for this type of person. Whether it's ethnicity, though, or uh, if you're not, um, what's the word? Uh, you know, not into larger women or sure. larger men. Uh, they, there's now all the dating apps are prohibiting that, so you can't say like no fat chicks, obviously. But you you also can't be like you know if you're large, don't hit me up. But you can't. They'll, they'll take down your. What if wait? But what if I played their identity game? It's like I just can't stand white women. <laughs> I like that chocolate, that uh, butterscotch, you know, that, that caramel. That might fly, but I, I, don't <laughs> I don't know if they would. Yeah, it's funny playing their game. Just it, that it, that identity politics logic. How could you discriminate? Like, and it's okay with look, them. Look, I'm all about saving time. And if you go ahead and let me know straight up what you're into, what you're not into, then we're good, right? Yeah, this exactly. guy, he he literally just saved all these women, you know, at the bar, the, the big girls at the bar, yeah, the, no, f- but the fifty year old ladies at the bar. You got to take a picture of your butt. That'll show. <laughs> it was a it was a nice looking butt. Oh God, Joey. <laughs> we'll be right back. Joey Clark. Joey Clark. Uh, Welcome back, folks. So there's this guy who's felt the wrath of Hillary Clinton on Twitter, and now he's making some things clear. guy's name is uh, Robert Epstein. No, this... Right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's so many Epsteins in there. I know. Name. Are they kin? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. But uh, apparently, it all started when on Monday, President Trump tweeted out a study on Google bias from PhD psychologist Robert Epstein. Epstein supported Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. But after the Trump tweet, Clinton attacked Epstein's professional reputation. Epstein responded with a tweet storm exposing Clinton's ties to Google. At the suggestion of many conservatives online, the psychologist then posted a statement in the unlikely event he gets suicided by Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Here's the actual tweet. Okay, this is sort of funny. It's been suggested that I remind people that I am not suicidal. I love my life, wife, three awesome sons, and two awesome daughters, my research, etc., etc. Everyone got that? Thanks to Pumped for Trump for the suggestion. And it's with a That's photo. That's so great. That is wonderful. Like, yeah, I think uh, I think other people should follow suit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, I heard this about the Clintons, but let me just go ahead and put out there first, though, that I am not suicidal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but this is a really, you know, on a serious note, a good example of how science gets perverted and manipulated by politics. Because Epstein had a problem with Trump and with Clinton. Correct. So, like, he, the way Trump presented it, he's like, my study didn't find that. I was looking at, yes, there's a great possibility that Google, using their search engine, can bias results yes. in elections. I think that's all I showed, that it's quite possible. Trump took that ball and ran with it. Like, Clinton took all these votes. That's why I didn't win the popular vote, whatever. And so Clinton, instead of responding to Donald Trump saying that's not what the study said, Clinton went after Epstein. Interesting. She said this. Hillary Clinton's, 
Rodham's tweet. The debunked study you're referring to was based on 21 undecided voters. For context, that's about half the number of people associated with your campaign who have been indicted. Donnie. (laughs) (sighs) The tweet stung Epstein. As a decades-long Clinton supporter... He took her attack personally. Worst media outlets rushed to condemn him, believing the official line that his study had been debunked. He said, quote, I'm 66 years old. I spent a lifetime building a spotless reputation as a scientist. My reputation is not just besmirched, it's completely shattered now, based on nothing, not actual acts or anything I did or failed to do. As for Clinton, he said she should have been attacking him. She was not attacking him. She was attacking me. He said her words in her tweet are etched into my brain permanently. He lamented that she'll never apologize for what she did. He went on to say in a tweet, if my work, Hillary, has been debunked, why was it included in a volume just published by Oxford? Why have I been invited to speak about it at prestigious venues worldwide? Stanford, Yale, even the Senate. <laughs> and this is, a, I think, when, for instance, when people bring up like global warming, climate change, I'm like, okay, are we going to have a discussion about the science? Or are we going to have a discussion about the politics and the do somethings, a crying case of the do somethings? It's, it's perfect. How, I mean, it gets blurred, like you said. Right. And it's, well, and it's to your point about the rainforest. It's like, yeah, that's a shame. The rainforest could have all sorts of resources, things we don't know, species, things we don't know about that could be very useful. And should be preserved, but like, like let's get into detail. Yeah, like, and and the people, you know, people have to understand that fundraising is is based off, you know, all of this, you know, save the rainforest, donate now, da da da. It's okay. It's not going to stop the, the fire currently raging. You no, know? but uh, people who fundraise for a living love this kind of stuff, and so it actually got to the point with the with the rainforest. My my brother pointed out that there were fake photos being circulated. And it was like, what it, what it was was there'd be like three or four different uh, photos uh, in a post. And it says something like, the media doesn't care. You know, uh, the, the forest has been burning. Rainforest has been burning for uh, three weeks now. And it was like a post from a California fire, a stock image of a fire, you know, from somewhere else. Uh, but I was, I, I was talking to him about it. And it was kind of like... They're so quick. Everybody's so quick to be the first to call it out and to be the first that they literally went and just pulled stock photos. They didn't. They didn't get it from the source. Right. They weren't. But they wanted to be the champion of the change and fundraise off of it first. And so you've got these big, you know, news outlets that are starting to report on it now using fake photos, right? Because everybody's scrambling to be the first and to be breaking. Uh, and they be- made the same mistake with uh, the whole border issue, like kids in cages. It's like the rush to be the first to fundraise, yeah. and to exa- your exact point. It's like, I get, I get what you're and saying. There are photos from the Obama era. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, guys, you kind of stepped all over your well, point there. These guys sit in a, you know, sit, I assume, sit in rooms with lots of computers, and they're doing research all day. You can't just, you know, look at that and be able to find out and figure it. I guess it's called um, fact-checking. Fact I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have time for that. You know, not in today's news cycle, Frisco. I mean, we uh, like Twitter. I think is giving people a false impression. Like social media in general does. You're curating your life to look a certain way. It's not actually what your life is actually like. I, I mean, I was talking to you off air. I've talked about it on air. My Instagram 
account has kind of become just a series of thirst traps. Thirst traps. Yeah, it's just like, okay, that chick's attractive. I'll follow her. And they, I mean, my other interests are on there too. Sure. Uh, but it's it's just kind of like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't a, a real impression of the world. It's especially even that like very attractive chick who's got that great photo, the lighting, and some sad boyfriend or husband taking all these photos. From <laughs> yeah, right. Multiple. There's a guy behind the camera. <laughs> yeah. What I'm noticing though is uh, the news is now. Uh, reporting on what's trending. So you've got all these algorithms that kind of decide what gets to trend, and mm-hmm. then the news reports, well, this is trending. And I've looked at sometimes, I'll go and look, I mean, I'm banned from Twitter, but I can still see how many times something's been retweeted, and, right. and so that you know something will be top trending, and you'll go and look, and, and maybe 10,000 people retweeted it, and you're like, how is that the top? That's only 10,000... Wait, how many millions, hundreds of millions of people are on here? I don't think that's the top, but the news will grab it because that was what was at the top because that's what Twitter's algorithm put at the top. And that's what I was getting to. That It's not just a false impression that you curate your lives or you're seeing all the glamorous people on these you know exotic vacations or whatnot. I think in terms of the news, exactly to your point, we're not actually doing journalism anymore. We're just lazy. Like mining Twitter yes. and algorithms. And a lot of the times those... Algorithms aren't actually picking up what's really being shared the most. It's what they want to pop up there. Or there are companies purposely pushing certain hashtags in order to get a message out. I mean, I sent you a a thing on all these national days we have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Avocado Day. Yeah, National Avocado Day. But, I mean... Where where the hell did this come from? It's like when I found out a couple days, it's National Radio Day. Uh, why? Oh. Why can't starting when and and who and you know yeah, who's pushing I'm like this you. I'm the, I'm a history buff, so it's like I'll I'll go dig in, and then I realize uh, in 2019 uh, National um, whatever day was formed, and you're like, okay, well that was two days ago, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's some fringe little group or somebody. Yeah. And, but then you see that uh, I mean millions and millions are made on off marketing on these days. You know. Oh yeah, it's, and it, there's a science behind all that. And sure. uh, you were you were much. Like, now you're banned on Twitter for being, you know, just so controversial. <laughs> like, how dare you be conservative? There's, uh, that, by the way, Laura Loomer's case is getting um, brought up. I saw that. I got the email, but I haven't pulled it up yet. But uh, Yeah, your girl. She's, yeah. uh, look, she's pushing the matter in the courts. So we'll see. If uh, if something happens there, maybe I get let back on, too. I don't so know. What, what led to this, for folks who don't know about Laura Loomer? Uh, so... She got banned. Well, first of all, she started she started criticizing people like Ilhan Omar mm. uh, and others before the their elections, and was calling to light several issues. Um, and I kind of tagged along with her. I had a, an account that was okay. I had you know some followers, but uh, I, I was retweeting some of the stuff that she was doing. She was actually flying to their districts and confronting them, and um, you know about certain frauds that you know Ilhan Omar um, you know immigration fraud and some other things um, and but she also did a bunch of other stuff she showed up mm. to a, a Hillary Clinton book signing and <laughs> had some words with her she showed up to James Comey's uh, book signing and I think was yelled about he's a liar she does this thing where she ambushes sure. uh, uh, liberal folk and uh, it's kind of it's entertaining but it's also true I mean she literally brings up truthful points right there was a, a play in New York City where they assassinate uh, they do a mock assassination of President Trump a couple summers ago and she rushed the stage and was like, I don't know, whatever she yelled, and she got arrested for it. She handcuffed herself to Twitter after she got I saw that Twitter. one, yeah. So she knows how to make waves and, 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 you know, really piss off a lot of people. 
on the left, but she makes a lot of solid points. And um, the the being a provocateur is like an entry to get attention, and then it's like correct. Now here's the my problem with her was there wasn't necessarily any kind of a targeted harassment. The problem is they deplatformed her on everything: YouTube, um, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you know, Facebook owns Instagram, so right. those two obviously went at the same time. But then uh, people were uh, sending her money. I forgot what it was through. She was accepting donations through one of the sites um, to raise money because she's kind of a, a guerrilla um, uh, you know reporter in sure. a sense so she she doesn't work for uh, CNN Fox anybody she works for you know off these donations well even that platform I think it's PayPal um, banned her then so they they you know demonetized everything banned her from every platform and then took away any way to receive any kind of funding and then you've got certain groups that were labeling her as uh, xenophobic and all these things for um simply pointing out some facts you know and and you know some stuff that happens in muslim cultures you know sure. throwing gays off buildings and stoning women to death i mean right. things that are happening she was calling them out and uh rightfully so anyway long story short i started uh you know retweeting some of her stuff sure and uh well you got in trouble right yeah yeah twitter police came shut me down well, and I, I think it's um, it's not good if I could speak on their behalf. They don't want me to. I don't think it's good for the left and a lot of these journalists who do care so much. I mean, for the folks who aren't playing a cynical game, the guys and gals who actually believe, or you know, maybe you're uh, you're somewhere in between guy and gal. I, I get it. There's all different uh-huh. types out there. Uh, if you are genuine, genuine in what you believe in. You need to get out of your echo chamber, and I know all about echo chambers. Oh, uh, yeah. We've um, talked about that before. Yeah. I know all about echo chambers. I've, I've locked myself into plenty uh, throughout my you know brief 30-year stint here on this earth. And I really think that's what's going to hurt them in the long run, especially going into uh, 2020, is that they really are starting to get high on their own supply. It's this constant feedback mechanism of all these blue check journalists on Twitter who are sharing the same stuff with one another. And then it gets picked up by the big national legacy media outlets. And that becomes the narrative that a few people who are pretty radical can push. And the majority of people who are Democrats are not like that. Not at all. They're not woke activists on Twitter. No. They're old manufacturing workers in the Rust Belt. Well, and, and, you know, to be honest, yeah, I think to be honest, it is, it's going to be their demise for sure, because uh, I, I've, I've got family way out there in San Fran land. Sure. And, um, you know, we've had some meaning, meaningful conversations, and they are obviously on the left. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, they're not really necessarily agreeing with, the, what is it, the squad and all this other stuff. Right. Uh, the Green New Deal sounded ridiculous to them. Um, they're human beings. You know, they live in the real world. Right. So, you know, I think that, um, but at the same time, I think the right kind of loves it because I think that the right's like, um, look at these clowns. It's a clown show. Well, and, and I, I know a lot of people um, on the left. And one thing that's amazing is if you... And these aren't even folks that are active or political or vocal about it in public. They just, that's kind of their opinion. Or they get it through, you know, the grapevine and their friends yeah. say, this is what's going on. They're like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. Um, but you look at, like, their text messages and the things they share with their friends. 
I mean, it's some of the most politically incorrect, like, crap. People like jokes. They like talking yeah. frankly and openly when they're obviously not serious about a subject. It's like, oh, you can't have that thought. That That's wrong. And I, I think this sort of oppressive, like, thought control thing, it's not like 1984 because it's not a central government doing it. Um, and thank God for that. But... The constant rush to conform to the latest, most woke, progressive standard is, I think, writing a lot of people out of the so-called left-wing movement. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's ridiculous, in a way. There's a article I read earlier today uh, where there's a guy at... What was his name? It doesn't matter. Um, he wrote a long-form piece for The Atlantic... Which I read The Atlantic. I'm like uh, Baron Coleman in that way. you got to get some from the left. It's center-left. I think it's usually thoughtful. It gets some interesting I will pieces. actually check out The Atlantic a little yeah, bit. They do a good job. But this piece was a guy doing this deep dive of why is Joe Rogan so popular? Number mm. two podcast on iTunes for the last two years. Who's number one? I'm not sure, actually. Hmm. Uh, I need to look that up. Um, but he... Also had, like, the Elon Musk interview he did just on YouTube. Oh, 24 million views. 24 million? It's more than presidential debates recently. It's more than CNN gets. <laughs> right. Um, and if you combine his YouTube, uh, like, all the podcast platforms, he's getting millions of people listening into his program. I'm one of them. I don't listen to every episode because they're usually long, and not everyone will interest me with every guest. But this guy on The Atlantic's trying to understand why this popularity. And he, he goes through it so much, and he gives a, a fair critique for most of it. But then he gets into this thing of, like, there's one sentence that was so chilling. He's like, Joe's fatal flaw is that he sees value in people who are absolutely abhorrent. In particular, he's talking about, like, Alex Jones. And I'm like, Alex Jones has said things that I do find abhorrent. I, Joey, find abhorrent. Sure. But I'm not going to be like, throw Alex Jones in the gas chamber or write him off from, like, public life well, forever and forever. We're literally in this day and age where it's like, you don't agree, we will silence you. Right. I mean, as we just talked about with social media, with the banning on Twitter, if, you, if they don't agree, they silence you or boycott, which, I don't know, you saw the, I think, Bill, Bill Maher and... Uh, I don't know. They were calling. To, somebody was calling to boycott his show. And oh, was, right. Yeah, I, f I forgot what. The, but he made a point that was like, uh, some people they only have one option, and it's to boycott. Um, well, and these boycotts don't usually work. No, um, they they might scare a sponsor or two. And I mean, I think as a you know a, a brutal libertarian, boycott is one thing in your arsenal for political action on a completely free market. Yep. I don't like you, so I'm not going to you know give you my money. But there's a certain point when it becomes too political. So it's one thing when, say, the African-American, the black population of Montgomery goes, hey, we're the ones actually riding on public transportation. And you're going to treat us this way? Of course, we're talking about Rosa Parks mm -hmm. uh, in the 50s and 60s here. And that boycott worked. Sure. And it was for good reason. But when it's like the mean man on Fox, that baby face for Tucker Carlson. Excuse me, I almost curse there, folks. Um, you know, he's just said mean things. we got to go after his sponsors. It's just like, calm down, please. Yeah. They do it all the time, especially in Sean Hannity, wildly popular. 
don't care what anyone says. He's got the highest rated views, mm-hmm. you know, his show and his radio show uh, do extraordinarily well compared to others. Uh, but he gets boycotted. He has quote unquote boycotted like at least 10 times a year from different, you know, left groups that it, you know, they'll pick it apart and whatever. And, and he's just like, whatever. Right. Cool. Well, and I want to go back to this uh, Joe Rogan with having Alex Jones on, and this reporter's like, oh, that was just, it's just Joe's fatal flaw. And, like, when I watched that episode, it was long. It was, like, four hours. And they're drinking, they're smoking, the the wacky-backy, which is legal out there in California. And it sort of, to me, revealed the real guy, to a degree, who Alex Jones is. Like, I mean... There's one point where Alex Jones backs up. He's like, oh, oh, Joe, I, I just got to say, I'm a little bit retarded. <laughs> and it's just like, it was a great moment yeah, yeah. where you're kind of seeing this guy who is this ball of energy, says a lot of crazy a big, things. larger than life, dude. And so you sort of see him just removed from any spin, any like judgment, just let Alex be Alex in an arena that he's not controlling it's one thing to see him on his own show but to see him on a long form conversation where you can see the flaws in what he says well that was a little interesting entertaining well that was terrible like you can judge people and that's what i've taken from things like joe rogan when he has people on sometimes i'm like well i disagree with that but at least it's an open conversation sometimes i'm like i wish joe would ask this question but i'm not the one there interviewing him and it's i don't get this sort of bringing it's one thing when the news is unfair and it's biased. It's another thing when you go to like an objective news or source or conversation where they might exist, and because you're so drenched in your own ideology, you think it's biased. When it's just somebody saying a fact. Absolutely. And so I think there's two things going on here. There's clearly biased news, and then there are folks who are biased who see something that's a fact, and they're like, well, I don't want to believe it. Well, you see them college campuses, too, and they, they don't allow certain speakers and things like that uh, simply because they're biased. They don't, you know. Right. We don't like that guy. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a it's frustrating, intense time, but there's a lot of fun in this world. Um, there's a lot of good things, and that's why I keep going back to music. It's like, you know, I can get sick and tired of this, but I can always go back and have a little bit of fun. I almost got worked up, but now I'm just like, actually, it's all good. You can relax, have some fun. Uh, well, thank you for joining me, Frisco. Thank you, Joey. I'll be back tomorrow night, folks. Oh, and by the way, in a list of the 50 friendly estates, Alabama got 21. Yeah, we could do better. We could. They didn't go to the right part. See you all tomorrow.